Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. As we continue on in our series in James, you know, we have uh, emphasized how very practical uh, this book of the Bible is, and there's no question it is extremely practical. But I, I want to emphasize just as strongly that it's not as though this is the only practical book in the Bible. Every book in the Bible applies to us. Some, it seems, uh, it's a little more out there, a little more uh, obvious uh, without uh, digging uh, necessarily even quite as deep because it's kind of in your face, uh, the application. And yet, uh, this is uh, uh, one of those many, many uh, books in the Bible that uh, speak so directly to us as uh, followers of Christ. Now, if you were to ask me, when I was 16 years old, I know you're wondering how I can remember that far back, aren't you? But uh, when I was 16 years old, if you had asked me the question, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do for a living? I would have given you this answer. And it was usually a, a two-part answer because I wasn't quite sure exactly what I wanted to do. I would have told you that I either want to be a forest ranger or a sportscaster. Now, here was some of my insightful thinking back then. If you would have said, well, why do you want to be one of those two things? Well, I would like to be a forest ranger because I would like to be out in the middle of the woods somewhere away from people. Pretty insightful, wasn't it? Or... I would like to be a sportscaster because I'd get to get into all the games for free. And I could sleep late. And I wouldn't have to wear a tie. Okay? Now, those were my thinking. Now, 39 years later, I have spent uh, most of those years with people. I get up five or so every morning, and far too often, I have to wear a tie. Now, does that mean that I'm, I'm just a crummy planner? Some would agree with that. Yeah, you, you must not be a, a very good planner. Maybe, maybe that's so. But I think there might be some other explanations. And in fact, this passage that is before us today, I think speaks to some of that very thing and gives us insight in terms of right planning for the future. I'll refer back to a couple of things I just said in a few moments. But let's read God's word beginning with verse 13. Of James 4. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow 
will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right things to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us now in these few moments as we talk about this, this whole concept of how, how, do we, how do we deal with, how do we think about our future? What's the right way as children of God? As followers of Christ, you've told us, and now will you give us ears to hear and and hearts that are open to you and, and wills that are willing to respond and to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's jump into it. Uh, The plans of a Christ follower should not reflect a self-sufficient attitude. Verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You know, even a few years ago, this would have... Uh, would have been harder for people to swallow because people thought, you know, I I know what my retirement will be and I've got all this planned out. Well, now when people read this, they go, yeah, that's pretty pretty presumptuous to uh, make such a a statement. What we need to understand is that that James and the rest of Scripture is not anti-planning. In fact... It's pro-planning. There's a a lot of scripture that that talks about uh, counting the cost and and that type of thing. But here, James is specifically speaking to merchants who boasted about their plans for the future. And what they were saying is, look, here's what I'm going to do. Tomorrow I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this and I will do that. And then I will turn a profit. And James is basically saying, how do you know that? What do you mean you're going to do all those things? How arrogant are you to presume that you know all of that? Now, why why would he approach them that way? I mean, isn't that just somebody with a good business plan? Somebody who's thought it through, maybe? Well, here's here's the reason. Verse 14 again. It's because our knowledge is so limited. That's the problem. 
our knowledge is limited. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You see, our problem is that at best, we have a small picture of what's going to happen, what is happening. We need to recognize that even man's greatest knowledge is limited. We're limited to know what's going on now. And even in that, often, we only see just a small slice of that. And we're limited to know what went on in the past. But again, is that ever 100%? And certainly we're limited in terms of the future. Sometimes, and this can contribute to our arrogance, sometimes the future will come out like we thought it would. And we think it's because we planned well. And yet, there's something bigger there. We tend to think that we wish we knew what was going to happen next week. I cannot tell you how many times I have said to Connie at the end of a week, I'm so glad I did not know what was going to go on this week. Haven't you felt that way? I don't think I could have stood it if I knew what was going to go on this week. We have an idea. We think we know. But ultimately, our knowledge is limited. And then James goes on. He says, uh, such an attitude is arrogant. Uh, Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. Uh, To make statements like that, here's here's really what you're saying. If you're saying this is absolutely what's going to happen, Basically, what you're doing is saying, my knowledge is unlimited. Those things that only God knows, I also know. You see how arrogant that is when you you put it in those terms? And that's what James is attacking here. Those who imply that they're omniscient, I know exactly what's going to go on next week. Well, you know, only God knows that. And so it's an arrogance. And then he goes further. It's not just arrogance, but he calls it evil. All such boasting is evil. It's not just a bad quality. It's sin. Now, he's got good support to uh, back that up. Uh, If you look back, Think back to the Garden of Eden. Satan plays on man's curious uh, uh, quest for knowledge. And, uh, you know, God says, don't eat of that tree. And what, does, what does Satan say? He says, well, go ahead and eat of the tree. And if you do, you will be like God. You see, that's basically... In essence, what people who are tempted into thinking they know what's going to take place next week or the week after that or the week after that, they are being tempted into that that same problem, that sin of presumption. 
James doesn't just stop with condemning them. He doesn't just say, don't do that, you're arrogant, you're, you know, you're prideful, it's evil, and so on. He gives them uh, the alternative, and that's what we want to focus on here, and that is that uh, the believer's plans should be seeking harmony with God's will. Now, when you um, look at, uh, let's look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If God wills, we will do this or that. Now, obviously, as I stand here, you know I did not become a forest ranger, or most of you know that I didn't do that, uh, or uh, a sportscaster. I'm not a second career guy. I went into ministry. Now, what changed? Well, I remember long about that same time, I was sitting in a service like this, and the pastor, I, I was already had committed my life to Christ. But the pastor preached a sermon and he challenged we young people, that's what he called us, you young people. He was probably, when he was preaching, he was probably my age <laughs> that I am now, but I thought he was very old. And he said, <laughs> he said, now you young people, I want to challenge you to give your future to the Lord. I want to challenge you to make Him the Lord of your future. Well, that was a novel concept to me. I'd never even thought of that. Nobody had ever challenged me to that before. I was willing to do that. At the end of the service, when he was through with his sermon, he had us all bow our heads and he asked us to raise our hand if we were willing to do that. And I raised my hand that day. Now, I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hand today. But I want to put out that same challenge. Will you, will you, not just you young people, but whatever stage of life you're in, whatever phase you're in, will you... Give your future to Him. Now look, it's His anyway. But it's a matter of being obedient and desiring His will for your life. Now you might say, well, why would I do that? I want to do what I want to do. Well, we, we do it because, as James says, God's knowledge is not limited. Look over in uh, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, that's the phrase, Deo volente. Lord willing, 
If the Lord wills, I'm willing to do that. Hebrews 4, verse 13, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Back to my story a little bit. I hope, hope you're okay with me weaving my testimony in here, but I'm, I'm, off, I'm asked periodically how I was called into the ministry. My knowledge was so limited. You know, I thought that I knew what would make me happy in life. But I didn't even know myself. The only thing I was right on is that I didn't like wearing ties. And I still don't like wearing ties. If you see me walk to my car today, it will be off before I get to my car. I don't know. That's just the way I am. But those other things, the, the whole idea of uh, thinking that I would be happy away from people out in the middle of a forest. Well, you know, when I have uh, periodically taken study leave, one time some folks gave me a very nice place on a lake to stay, and I got there and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. And I, I was supposed to have three days of uh, study leave for study and prayer and planning and so on. And I got there in the morning. It was perfectly quiet. It was a, a beautiful view of the lake and so on. By that afternoon, I was climbing the walls. <laughs> I had to go in town just to eat, just so I could see some people. Now, I got the study done, and I went back, and I've, I've learned to discipline myself to do those things. But I thought that somehow that, that would make me, me happy. You know, and the other thing about being a forest ranger, I get poison ivy really bad, you know? <laughs> That's not a good quality for a, for a forest ranger. You know, all these things that I thought, that's going to make me happy in life. And I didn't even know myself because my knowledge was so limited. But his was unlimited. I, I wouldn't change anything. The, the joy that I've had in this calling, and there have been trials too, but I, I wouldn't change it. Because God knew best all along. Even if somebody had told me, you know, when I answered them at that point, if they had told me that, you know, look, in about 40 years you're going to be standing in a pulpit and you'll be a pastor for all those years, I, you know, I'd have, I don't know what I would have done, but I wouldn't have believed it. Here, here's what James goes on to emphasize in terms of uh, why we need it to be in his hands, because our life is transient. It's, it's temporary. It's fleeting. Verse 14, what is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know, we, we tend to act like we're permanent fixtures here. And, and we tend to, to act like we're always going to be here and in charge of things. And you know, because I have told you that that's, that was one of the really important spiritual lessons that I learned with my heart attack. 
you know, that day I thought I was in charge of what was going on. I went to the park to jog like I did every day. And I thought I would go home and then I would have supper and then I'd be back at work the next day. And by the next morning with a new stint in my heart, you see, here's what happened. You know, the, I wasn't really in control, but the one who was in control made a little, little piece of plaque break loose and make a blood clot and form a blockage. And, and I had a heart attack and my life and view of things changed. I, I never had any problem with this verse, but I never really grasped it quite as much as, as I have since that time. And I often say, no one will ever convince me that my life is anything but a mist. But you know what? That's, that's a good thing. It's okay. Because I... I don't need to worry because it's in the hands of the one who knows me better than anyone else. And like with my calling, he will do what's best for me. And so we come to the, the whole idea of Deo Valente, if God wills. It's not just a semantic, and, and I, don't, I don't want you to feel like, okay, now if I'm around Dale, I've always got to say, yes, I'll be at that meeting, God willing, you know, or Deo Valente, or, you know, you don't, you don't have to sign it. You know, the Puritans used to put DV at the bottom of their, I was going to say emails, but I don't think they did under there, but <laughs> at the bottom of their letters and things like that. Uh, and, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine, but that's not what I'm looking for. What, what he's talking about is a whole attitude that we begin and we end everything with, with the thought and the genuine, honest view, I will do this as God wills and if he wills. I will be there if God wills. That's not just fatalism. When we visited our daughter in Turkey, I was talking to a, a man whose father was quite ill, and I, uh, he's, he was a Muslim, and I said, I, I hope your father gets to feeling better, and he said, if God wills. I mean, literally, that was it. It was, if God wills. See, that's fatalism. That's well, I don't really care one way or the other if God wills. I mean, not that he didn't love his father, but, but that's, that's a fatalistic view. What we are, you know, we're in relationship with the one we're talking about. And, and there needs to be that being convinced that because of what he has done for us in the past, in Christ on the cross, that he will always do what's best for us. And it's in that context that we are saying, if God wills, that's what I want. That's what I want. And that brings us to the, the latter thing, and that is that obedience to God's will is essential. Verse 17, for whatever, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, obviously, there's a lot of God's will that is secret. 
you know, you, you can't look in, in the Bible and say, you know, you need to be a forest ranger, you need to be a teacher, you need to be this or that. But there's a lot of it that's revealed. Plenty, plenty of it is, is laid out. But at best, for those secret things, it, it's hard for us to know the whole idea of Deo Valente. What, if God wills, what is he willing for me? So how are we going to discern it? Well, that's when we've got to go to the one who dwells in us, and that is Christ, because at every point, that's what he did. The Father sends him to earth to take on a human flesh, to live a life of perfect obedience, to be tempted in every way and yet without sin. And then he is about to go to the cross. And there in the garden, he says, is there some other way? But then he said, Deo Volente, your way, not my way. Christ understands. And so it is he that we go to for this discernment. On the 24th of December, 2005, we had had in the church I was serving a a wonderful Christmas Eve service. Now, that was the year, in fact, it was the last time when Christmas was on Sunday. And so it was a Saturday night. I had preached the service. The church was full, and uh, we'd had a wonderful time, and then came home, and uh, we're back at church the next morning. Uh, I had already arranged, because I preached that night before, to uh, have my assistant pastor preach the Christmas morning service. And so he was prepared to do that. We were praying before we went out to the service, and I got a phone call. The call was from a family in the church, the family of uh, our children's director, Lynn Wheeler. And the call was frantic. We've been in a car wreck. Somebody hit our car head on. And they've taken my mom to the hospital. We don't know if she's going to live. So I walked out of my office. I went and told Connie what was going on on this Christmas morning. We had looked forward to spending the day after church with our family and so on. And I went directly to the scene of the accident. They had just left. I followed to the hospital and then ended up actually getting to uh, the next hospital before the life flight. And we spent the day there in the hospital. They did emergency surgery on her, and they said if, if Lynn lives, the emergency surgery was just so she could breathe, if she lives, uh, she probably won't be able to move anything. And she hasn't to this day. 
Now, three weeks ago, when uh, we were on vacation, Connie and I went to visit Lynn and her husband, Doug, and uh, in their home, and it was a wonderful visit. It's the kind of visit, because Lynn, though she is paralyzed from here down, she cannot breathe on her own, she's working toward that. But uh, it's the kind of visit that you come away encouraged. You know, when you see somebody that can't even breathe on their own, and you walk out of there and you say, you know what, I don't think I have any problems. And I thought back to when Doug and I, after, after that car wreck, we were together a lot while she was in the hospital, and then after she came home, I would meet with him every single week at a a restaurant. And I would often say, "Uh, Doug, how are you? Remember the song we sang last week, It Is Well With My Soul? Doug, Doug would often say, he would look at me and he'd smile and say, It is well with my soul. Everything else isn't too great but it's well with my soul. That's not even their favorite hymn. Their favorite hymn is actually the one that we are about to sing. And it is one that they hold on to, and I've always loved it, but never more than since that time. Whatever my God ordains is right. Now, as we sing it in a moment, I want you to I want you to, to put it as a grid over the account I've just told you of their life. But more importantly, I want you to put it as a grid over your own life and whatever you're facing. Or what at some point you may be facing in the future. I don't want to read you the whole hymn, but let me just read you the third verse. Whate'er my God ordains is right, though now this cup in drinking may bitter seem to my faint heart. I take it all unshrinking. My God is true each morn anew. Sweet comfort yet shall fill my heart, and pain and sorrow shall depart. It may be hard for you today to make those your words, and if it is, and it probably is, it's the time to flee to the Lord Jesus and ask him for faith to deal with whatever it is as we give our life and our future to him. Let's pray together.